um, I had a stroke. You know, the whole left side of my body had disconnected. Research that shows that women tend toward looking to external, looking to other people, looking outside of ourselves, right? Whereas men are conditioned more toward an internal locus of control. What do I need? What do I think? What do I want? How do you put a stop to painful patterns that keep recurring in your life? For over 20 years, Dr. Outsen Cook has brought together faith and psychology. She's enabled women to reclaim their confidence, find their purpose, develop the authentic connections they crave, and embrace their true selves. We train people how to treat us. We have to pay attention to these voices that we use to shame, to criticize ourselves. You're so focused on that other person. You're to the point where you've lost connection with your own self. So you're betraying your own sense of self. You've packed in so much in that answer right there that I just kind of want to pull so many threads. Welcome to Daring Forward, where we feature ordinary women doing extraordinary things and learn practical lessons and action steps to help you live courageously. I'm your host, Sahar Twesajay. Now, if you're ready, let's dare forward. How do you put a stop to painful patterns that keep recurring in your life? How do you trust yourself to make wise decisions even in difficult circumstances? How do you find your voice and speak up for yourself while still being kind? In today's episode, our guest is a therapist who specializes in the integration of both theology and psychology and is the author of her new book, The Best of You, where she reveals her breakthrough strategies to discover your true self, find your voice, set wise limits, and still be a loving person. For over 20 years, Dr. Allison Cook has brought together faith and psychology to help over 50,000 women through her popular blog and podcast. She's enabled women to reclaim their confidence, find their purpose, develop the authentic connections they crave, and embrace the holy, sacred work of becoming their true selves in God. Welcome, Dr. Allison, on the show. I am so honored to have you here with us on Daring Forward today. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So my husband and I have been enjoying your book and dissecting it section by (laughs) section because we have so many truth bombs in there. And um, I'm really excited to kind of dive into some of the, the concepts and some of the things that you mentioned in the book. But before we kind of get into all of that, I think we should kick it off with maybe you telling us about your story and how the concept for the book came about. Yeah, thank you. I love it that you're talking about it with your husband. That's great. And I keep hearing from men that they really are getting a lot out of it as well, even though I did write it a little bit more for women. So I'm a psychologist. Yeah. I've been I've been working with women for almost 20 years, over 20 years, actually. So this, the book really grew out of my own journey that really also began to parallel the journey that I go on with women. You know, I studied psychology and I was sort of that cliche where I went into working with people. I was a therapist, but I had no clue who I was. And so I Mm. hit burnout. I was really deep into my own codependency, um, people pleasing, had to take a step back, heal myself so that I could be more effective in helping other people. That's sort of the first part. And then right as I was beginning to write this book, it's called The Best of You. And this idea being that the best thing we have to bring into our relationships, into our life, into our world is the best of who we are, whether we're parents, whether we're, you know, whatever we are. Um, And it's about breaking free from painful patterns, mending your past and discovering your true self. Well, that was the journey I had to go on. Right as I began to write the book, I had a trauma. I had a, a medical crisis 
literally just, mm. it was just a, a bizarre 24 hour period of kind of getting the idea for the book, having that trauma, and then having to go back through that process of healing that I write about um, and that I take other women on. And so it really kind of deepened the resolve behind the book is just, just my own journey and some of the things I've had to go through and also the things I've taken my clients through. And would you mind telling us like what happened? Because I know you mentioned it in the book, but for yeah. those who are you know listening, it would be good for them to kind of get an idea of yeah, what exactly I, happened. Yeah, I ended up uh, writing it about it just in the introduction because it was so critical. It's not really woven into the book, but it was I kind of bookend it with the introduction and the epilogue. Um, I had a stroke um, and I'm, you know, I was in my forties. I am in my forties. I had no known medical conditions. I was about to go on a date night with my husband, uh, went into the bathroom and, you know, I had put makeup on my finger, right. To, to put makeup on. It was during the quarantine. We were going to go outside, to, you know, who's wearing makeup, you know, who's, who's getting ready. So I was, I was excited to get yeah. ready. I was like, three or four months into the, the pandemic um, and um, couldn't move my finger. It's just like my, just like, and I, like I say in the book, it's like, it's like I was trying to, I might as well have been trying to move a book across the room. You know, there, there was just no connection. It was the weirdest. It probably was a matter of 10 to 15 seconds, but thing. And then all of a sudden it began to register that, you know, whatever cues our brains send, to move our finger, yeah. they, they weren't connected. And, uh, which was just terrifying, started screaming. Um, and then when my husband came in, thankfully he was home. Um, I, you know, the whole left side of my body had disconnected. Right. And I could, you know, I was slurring, you know, the whole left side of my face. Oh my um, and you know, we, we realized very quickly, we raced to the emergency room and I was able to get, um, what I needed in time to where I, for the most part, you know, I had very, very minor, you know, very, very minor physical implications because they were able to bust up the clot. But every test we did, you know, the, the doctor said, well, your heart's actually in really good shape. And it's almost like I wanted there to be something wrong because the, the why did this happen was harder in a way. Like, how did this happen? I see. And, and okay. that's, that's sort of this thing with trauma, right? We, our minds and that, that, you know, I get into in the book, this whole process of healing. And I was an adult when this happened to me, but, but it, mm -hmm. it does parallel, you know, it was fascinating to have to go through that process mentally, even knowing what I know about the brain didn't matter. I still had to go through it. You know, I'd mm. still feel that anxiety. Wow. I'd still want the answers. And if I couldn't get the answers, I was, I couldn't believe it. You know, I'm tempted to feel shame. And I'm like, how can I feel shame? But it's what our bodies do when we can't make sense of things, right? We, we go through that whole, all those phases of grief, those phases of bargaining. We talk, you know, I started talking to God. I was like, what, what, you know, bargaining. And I just had to go through that whole process. And because I had the skills that I have, and I know how to get support, it didn't become something that became emotionally, you know, okay. you know, I was able to heal um, both physically and emotionally. But yeah, that was that that was sort of the the front end of writing this book. And then here I go into the deep dive of dealing with well, what happens when you're a child, and a painful thing happens to you, and there's no one to come alongside of you, and you begin to make sense of it, right, you begin to tell a story, that may or right. may not actually be true. So for example, I, I talk about this on the year anniversary, I started to think that, well, putting makeup on caused my stroke, right? Of course it didn't. Like, but your okay. brain is searching to make sense of something that is inexplicable. So we try to pair, well, I was going on a date night. You know, I remember the first time I would try to go on a date again with my husband, I'd feel anxious. 
right? Because it brought up that, oh, no, it's going to happen again, even though those two things had nothing to do with each other. And again, this is this is a lot about the book is that's what happens when we have these what I call unhealed wounds inside of us is we pair things together that don't necessarily go together. And then we take that into our adult life. And we have to heal those places inside of us so we can make a truer, more beautiful, more whole story out of our lives. One of the things you mentioned, which I mean, I'm really thankful actually that you said that even though you are a therapist and you have the tools, you still had to go through the motions. You still had the anxiety. You still needed healing yourself. um, It doesn't make you immune, right? No. One of the things that I'm really kind of looking forward to in our conversation today is kind of, I feel like we as women, it's much harder for us, I find, to recognize what we want, what we need, and to even value that. My question to you is, is that why is it so hard for us as women to to recognize what we need? Yeah, I I talk about there's three components to it that I think. Um, One is, I do think there's a conditioning that especially women get. And it's it's Mm. cultural. It's in the air that we breathe, right? We are supposed to look to other people. We're supposed to be nice, the good girl, you know. There's so many different ways that women are conditioned to look externally. In psychology, it's called an external locus of control. And there's research that shows that women tend toward looking to external, looking to other people, looking outside of ourselves, right? Whereas men are conditioned more toward an internal locus of control. What do I need? What do I think? What do I want? And and so that's where I'm trying to kind of talk to women about, first of all, there's this conditioning that's kind of in the air that we breathe. It's just there, you know, many of our, depending on where you're from and in your culture and where you live, you know, many of our great grandmothers couldn't vote. Many of our grandmothers, like here in the States Mm -hmm. are, you know, my mom couldn't get a credit card as a 25 year old woman without my, without a man to co-sign it. You know, that's not that we're not that far off from that. You know, women couldn't run in marathon races up until the seventies here, you know, so there's, there's, and then, you know, you add all these different layers for women of color, right. Who there's just so many different layers for women of not having a voice, not getting to live from the inside out, not getting, you know, literally not having those opportunities. So that's kind of in the airwaves, right. That's just in the air. There's another component, which It's just our own childhood wounding that we all have. We all have this sort of conditioning of, and we all have to get to know our areas of wounding. And this is where we get into Mm -hmm. trauma, where we picked up messages. We've picked up these ideas. And then the other thing that I talk about a little bit in my practice, I work a lot from folks from a church background, whatever your denomination, whatever it is, whatever the faith community is, we get these messages that tell us to bypass ourselves shouldn't be about yes. you literally explicitly disregard yes. yourself don't pay attention <laughs> yeah. emotions are bad you can't trust yourself you know i was taught some of these things and again that mm-hmm. was that was sort of this process of my own healing it was like i'm scared and i had to work really hard with the part of me. it's like you shouldn't be scared you should trust god and it was like no i'm scared <laughs> and that's okay and god mm. understands that and i need to be with that fear i need to be with that There's a different way of being with myself. So I think there's sort of this, what I call a cocktail of codependency, all these ingredients together that make it really hard for women to get to the root of this is what I need in this situation. This is what I want. I can ask for what I need. 
And it, it, I see it just across the board with so many different kinds of women. That is so fascinating. I feel like <laughs> you've you've packed in so much yeah. in that answer right there that yeah, I yeah. just kind of want to pull so yeah, many threads. Yeah. Um, I think what I'm going to do is I am going to quote you something from your book, Good, yeah. which took my breath away. So mm-hmm. in the in the book, you mentioned you can't heal mm-hmm. what you don't acknowledge. Yes. And this is literally you talking about like mentioning the bypassing, especially when it's like spiritual. And um, um, we're so used to being so far away from our emotions. Like we're taught that emotions are bad. It's not done intentionally or said directly, but that's kind of like the message that you pick up. So I thought this was so powerful to address that. You can't heal what you don't acknowledge. You can't transform what you've pretended doesn't exist. (laughs) You don't heal in the context of shame, criticism, or spiritual bypassing. Mm -hmm. You heal and become your true self in God in the context of safety, honesty, love, and compassion. Mm -hmm. That was like, I needed to sit with that one for a Mm -hmm. moment. When we've kind of heard that kind of messaging and we've been bypassing ourselves and not Mm -hmm. kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, looking for external answers and not finding out what we need. How can we as women begin to ask ourselves the questions on how do we meet ourselves where we're at and find out what we need? Yeah, well, and and, uh, it does start often within ourselves because we learn to do it to ourselves. We bypass ourselves. We tell ourselves, I shouldn't feel that way. We shame ourselves. We criticize ourselves, right? We've internalized those messages. And so one part of us is like, I'm Mm -hmm. really scared or I'm really angry is another one for women. Man, it took me a long time to tap into anger because parts of us like, you shouldn't feel that way. That's bad. That's mean. That's cruel. That's not, you know, we do this to ourselves. And, and a lot of times it's coming in through the airwaves. It's coming in through our culture, through our parents, through our church, whatever. But internally is where we have to start to change that and go, wait a minute, I notice you, I'm feeling scared, I'm feeling angry. And I call it pivoting to getting curious. We notice that okay. you might even notice the critical voice. First of all, you have to become aware of it. What is that shaming voice? I am shaming myself. I am beating myself up. Hold on, deep breath. What if I could get curious? What if that anger is a cue that I need to pay attention to? What if that anxiety is there for a reason, right? We have to really take that breath and retrain, begin to pay attention to what we're paying attention to. That's what um, Dan Siegel says, the um, Mm -hmm. neurobiologist. We have to pay attention to these voices that we use to shame, to criticize ourselves, right? And it's really hard. It takes a minute to go, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm my worst critic right now. How can I get curious about this part of me that's exhausted? This part of me that's feeling beaten down. Oh, there's a need there. So to get to your question, why don't we know what we need? Well, we have to start paying attention. I think there's a need there. I wonder if there's a reason that I'm hurting. What is the need of that part of me that just won't let this go, no matter how much I try to criticize myself? When we start to show that compassion to ourselves, we start to get information Mm. that we can then 
oh, maybe I need to advocate for myself. Maybe I need to make a change. Maybe, you know, we begin to start to steer our own lives as we pay attention to those often unwanted emotions. That's so powerful. Sometimes we as women, I find that we tend to be very busy and on the go. And hearing you, someone might think like, well, that's easier said than done yeah. if you're sitting in a room with a therapist who's going to help you ask those questions. That's but right. in practice, what does that look like? I mean, at the beginning, sometimes it's helpful to have like a guided, there's some um, apps. I have a free one on my um, website where you, it'll guide you through. Sometimes that can be helpful as you're getting started, but it really becomes a way of being. I'll be driving in the car and I'll remember, I'll be like, I, what am I, where are my thoughts? Oh, oh my gosh. I am just beating myself up. You begin to just notice it. I'm doing the dishes, right? Yeah. And I'm, I become aware, you know, I become aware of, oh, you know, I just pleased that person instead of, I didn't want to do that thing. And I just, and, and, and I, more quickly you start to notice, oh, what was that about? Instead of beating yourself up, what was that about? Was I tired? Was I in a rush? Am I afraid of their reaction? Sometimes we bring a big suitcase full of a lot of unwitnessed pain, you know? Yes. Then mm -hmm. we might need um, a therapist, <laughs> right? To help yeah. us begin to unpack that because there's a lot there and we don't want to do it on our own. But the more you yeah. kind of start to pay attention, the more it just becomes a part of the rhythms of your day. You just start to mm -hmm. notice in those moments that we all have when you're in the shower, when you're, you know, um, you just start to notice what's going on in my mind today. What am I feeling yeah. today? I'm scared. And you start to be a little more tender with yourself. And then that from that fruit, you begin to realize, oh, I might need to go a little slowly today. Or, oh, I might need to be really careful when I have lunch with that yes. person today, because what I need because I've just paid attention to myself is not to be criticized today, right? We start to notice and we start to get clearer on what we need. That is so, so good. In my personal journey, I've really struggled with that sense of uh, that selfhood and feeling centered yeah. in myself growing yeah. up. Just because, again, culturally, growing up as a, um, a Black girl in the Middle East, like Black <laughs> Arab, like was... Uh, it's a whole, that's like oh. a whole different, another story for another day. Yes. But um, coming with that baggage, like you say, like I had that suitcase, like many suitcases and um, add into that then motherhood. If you're not careful, motherhood can even add to that. Like I was so used to, okay, less of me. I need to focus on the children and serve them. And it became so bad that I didn't realize by the end of maybe mm -hmm. halfway through having my four kids just carrying resentment and not knowing where it's coming from, right? Because I'm not meeting my needs. And I found just over the years and being in my own journey of healing, as you're saying, one of the most powerful questions you can ask yourself is, what do I need at this moment? And it could be as small as walking in through the door rather than, you know, coming in with the kids from school and starting to tidy up and cook dinner. It's like, before you do that, what do you need? I actually need to drink a glass of water. Why am I denying myself that um, before? Like, I can do that first. The house is not going to burn down, you know? And it's such a powerful exercise. So I cannot recommend what you've said enough. 
The next thing that I kind of want to touch on is some women listening might feel like, well, especially if you've come from that faith-based kind of background and community where you're so used to that messaging, you know, some of the thoughts you can have, and I was skeptical too, like if I ask myself, what do I want? What do I need? If I put myself first in this moment, does that make me selfish? Yeah. Um, Do you think that's true? How do you address that? Yeah, that I, I hit that right in the first chapter because I felt that way because I had my own sort of breakdown mm-hmm. from only focusing on other people. And then I had this moment. I was like, what do I want? It was kind of simple what I wanted. It was just something really simple that meant a lot to me. It didn't hurt anybody yeah. else, you know, and it usually doesn't. But it felt selfish. I was like, oh my gosh, if I start going down that path, am I going to become... And so right, out, right away, I mean, and, and I run into that with women all the time. Isn't that selfish? And so how I delineate that is there's selfhood. And then yes. there's selfishness on one hand and selflessness on the other. And oftentimes we're said it's good to be selfless. But often mm-hmm. I think those messages come from... I hear those messages, the selfless message often from, you know, folks who have a lot of power, (laughs) you know, so they have a sense of self, right? But I think, yes, right. So Mm -hmm. it's easy to say, well, I should become, Mm -hmm. and it's like, well, yeah, you maybe should become less selfish. Sure. But it's, but I think for women, (laughs) a lot of us hear this and we are already kind of self-sacrificing to the point where there's no selfless. I don't think that's the right message for us. So I talk about it. Selfishness says, it's all about me. It's my way or the highway. My needs come first, no matter what. I don't think about other people. You know that? We don't want that. Nobody wants that. That's not healthy for anybody. Selflessness says, it's never about me. My needs don't matter. I'll put you first, even if it's terrible for me. That's not healthy either. That is not healthy. The middle ground, what I call selfhood, which is a psychology term, but this idea of becoming a self is is this both and. It's my needs matter and your needs matter. And guess what? If we're going to be in a relationship together as two selves, we're going to have to figure that out. We're going to have to negotiate. We're going to have to figure out how to negotiate through. I mean, when we love each other, it's, it's not always easy. This is why relationships are hard. And we create something so much more beautiful when it's two whole selves coming together saying, this is what I want and need. This is what I want and need. All right, let's get to work. How are we going to negotiate that? And we do have to sometimes be patient. Sometimes what I need and what I want doesn't match up with the needs of my kids or the needs of my spouse. And sometimes theirs don't. But I have at least acknowledged this is a need and a want that I have. And maybe I am going to set it aside for a season. But I've made a promise to myself that I will come back to it. You know, there's still that honoring of it. Mm. So I'm not saying we always go right after it, but we do know, we honor it, we find ways. It's not that it's always about me. It's that I am going to bring myself into this relationship. I am going to have that cup of water before (laughs) I'm going to put on my own oxygen mask before I meet your need. I am going to do some things for myself in this relationship. And guess what? I'm going to be a better parent and a better wife and a better friend when I do that, because I'm not going to become so resentful, right? I'm going to have a whole person. You're going to have a whole person to relate to here. So much healthier for our relationships. Come on. Yes. (laughs) Amen. Big fat amen to that. Yeah. Can I also quote, like, I promise you, I'm not quoting anymore from your book, because if you want to know more, you all need to read it. 
Most of women have been taught to die to a life that they haven't learned how to live. Instead of encouraging women to stay small and sacrifice for, for others, it's time to encourage a counterbalancing message. I wanted to throw the book. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, thank you for just finding the language. That is like my heart's cry. Thank you for saying that. It's so powerful. Yeah. Like we know that we as women have been conditioned to kind of seek external permission, yeah. if you like, whereas men don't. Can you speak into how that plays into us as women setting boundaries, healthy boundaries, mm -hmm. and how we go about it? Yeah. Well, one of the things I found in my practice, and I go through this in the book, is a lot of women have an idea, I need to set boundaries, I want to set boundaries. And, and in fact, there's a lot of mm -hmm. shame, but it's really hard to do. Why am I not, right? We almost shame ourselves <laughs> for the fact that we're not setting boundaries. And I kept seeing this over and over. And so that's why I began to say, in the book, I don't get into boundaries until chapter six, because I realize there's all this pre-work a lot of us have to do, which is to develop that strong sense of inner knowing, inner conviction that this is what I want. And because I want and need this, I have to say no to this, right? So with boundaries, we okay. so often go to, I just want to get all this stuff out of my life, right? Because I'm overwhelmed, I'm exhausted, and I'm resentful. So just get out of my hair. And there's nothing wrong with that from time to time. But true boundaries flow for, you know, and I think this is so true for women. We first have to get at what do I actually want? Do I want this person out of my life? Do I want this thing to change? Do I, is there something I'm doing? We, we train people sort of how to treat us in many cases. We yes. train people, right? To expect us mm -hmm. to always be the one to respond, always be the, one, be the one. to. So sometimes boundaries are, I have to stop. I have to inhibit my own tendency to what psychologists call fun or people please or, or show yes. up even when I don't have the capacity to show up. It might be less about going to that other person and saying, hey, stop asking me. And it might be more about starting with, I'm going to have to just say no thanks or not respond. Or So, right, there's a lot that we yeah. have to get clear on inside of ourselves before then we get to the external work, which is important of communicating on behalf of the clarity we've discovered inside about where we need to go, which is why I've got to say, put some guardrails up with these relationships or with these commitments. Yeah, I hear that. Enforcing boundaries, especially if you're used to people pleasing, and I feel like that's probably 80%. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, this is not a scientific number. I'm just grabbing numbers out of the air. But a lot of, a lot of us women, we're so used to people pleasing and not saying no. And it's really hard disappointing people. It it's is. really, really hard if you're not used to it. And, you know, how do you manage that process of, especially when you're starting out, the first time you're saying no to something, you know, especially to someone that you really look up to maybe or someone you really mm. don't want to disappoint. How do you manage what happens afterwards? That's because right. it's not exactly a fun experience. No, it's not. It, you, know, you know, even though you're winning, it doesn't feel like a win. Oh, it doesn't. And sometimes the guilt that we feel afterward or the bad feelings we feel afterward will send us right back. We'd just rather stay with what's comfortable, even exactly. though it's not. I actually talk about that in the very last chapter of the book. In one of the very last sections, I talk about how to make peace with disappointing other people. And I thought to myself, this is kind of a downer note in the book on, but, and, I, and then I go into yeah. 
to the reality, which is because you have to envision. That's why you have to get so clear on that bigger vision of what you want for your life, because that's what's going to help you. That yes, that you're saying Mm. this life that you want is what's going to anchor you when you have to say those hard no's. And if you don't know what that yes is, if you don't have that, if you're like, man, I hate saying no in this moment. I don't want to say no to this person, but I do know that I want this, this, and this in my life. And I got to move toward those things. And so I've got to say no here. It does give you a sense of integrity and a sense of conviction that makes it easier. It's, you know, and then there, there are tactics you can do as you're learning. It's a muscle that you're developing, right? We're developing this no muscle. I was just about to ask, does it get, is it like a it muscle? Does. does it get easier? It as does. You... Yeah. Okay. You catch yourself, you know, you start mm-hmm. to realize, oh no, I'll be fine. You realize it a couple of times. You're like, oh, I'll be fine. And you also realize oftentimes you discover, oh my gosh, that was better for the other person too. I wasn't doing them any favors. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. harder. I talk in the book about this sort of spectrum of toxicity. If you're in a really toxic relationship that you have to get out of, it, it's hard to disentangle. But oh my goodness, isn't it better to realize, oh, if someone can't respect this healthy decision I need to make, why am I spending a lot of time in this relationship? And when you're dealing with that on the front and you need to get support around you, you need to get your boundaries committee, you know, your friends to say you're doing the right thing. You're, you know, you're going to need that extra layer of encouragement because it is hard. But you start yeah. to see the fruit of it. You start to go, oh my gosh, I did it. And you train your body to feel that relief. And then the next time you're like, oh yeah, it's hard. I don't like it. But remember last time? Remember how mm-hmm. good that felt when I stood up for myself? Okay. You know, and, and the courage is there. It's more, it's just like a muscle that you've developed. It's it's more available to you. So good. Mm-hmm. In the book, you mention codependency. Yeah. Can you tell us what is codependency and what's the difference between, you know, just being helpful and kind and being in a codependent relationship and what those dynamics look like? Yeah, exactly. The difference is, are you betraying yourself, right? The codependency Ooh. is this pattern of where you're so focused on that other person, you're sort of building your life around that other person to the point where you've lost connection with your own self. So you're in a sense betraying your own sense of self. And you've been conditioned to do this. There's good reasons. There's no shame in that. I mean, I, I'm a recovering codependent. So I, but it is, it's like, Mm. you're so oriented on that. There are parts of yourself. You're just bypassing all together and you're telling yourself it's okay, you're, you're sort of justifying it because you're like, well, I'm helping this other person, right? And so when we help someone else and we're simultaneously causing injury to ourselves, that's, that's a red flag. It's one thing to give sacrificially out of strength, which is what we do as parents, right? You know, and we can, we can get into codependent relationships with our kids too, but there's one thing to be like, oh man, I do not want to do this thing right now, but this is part of the job description. I got to do this thing right now. That's, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about where we are just completely ignoring and neglecting and denying huge parts of ourselves. And we're telling ourselves, oh, it's because I need to be here for my kid or my spouse or my friend, when in reality, we're, we're not doing our own work. We're kind of 
deceiving ourselves a little bit about that. And a lot of times other people are taking advantage of that. They're thrilled. They're thrilled to have, you know, in a codependent relationship, there's usually one person that's like, I'll take everything you'll give me. And we've kind of told ourselves this lie. Oh, that's the kind thing to do. When in fact, the kind thing to do is to say, no, I I actually need to be whole myself. And Mm -hmm. from that place, figure out how to be in relationship with you. Wow. So what do codependent relationships look like in different contexts? Could you give us mm-hmm. maybe some examples? Yeah. So one example might be, and, and it's it's hard to, you know, sometimes people think of it as sort of someone who's stereotypically needy, but it's not. They You see it in all different, a very, you know, it could be a really strong woman, maybe an executive, maybe a who is behind the scenes working overtime to manage her husband's anger. And so she is, um, she is cleaning up all the broken pieces of glass. She is telling him everything's fine. She's, she's making excuses for him to all of the neighbors and she's doing that. And again, there's no shame in it. She's doing it because she thinks that's what she's supposed to do to be, you know, helpful and kind. And he's taking advantage of that, right? It's like this pact that two people make without really, it's, it's, a, it's an agreement you get into. And sometimes you find yourself in this, you didn't, it's not like you wanted to be in this relationship, but all of a sudden you're like, man, the only re- way this relationship works is if I do all of the work, if I do all of right. the work. And that's scary when you realize that. And then you think, oh my gosh, if I start to say, look, I'm not going to pick up pieces after you anymore. They might get mad. That could destroy that, you know? So it's kind of this, the silent pact two people make where how I talk about it in the book is where neither person is actually doing their own work of facing their own wounds and doing their own healing and coming together in that. But instead they make sort of the silent pact of, look, I won't see your wounds. I'll pretend like they're not there. You won't see mine. And we'll just sort of kind of cover for each other, right? So neither person is really doing their own work. And it can get really toxic, especially if one person begins to realize, I don't think this is healthy. Um, so mm. that's one example. But I say, you know, that's a, a, an example of marriage, Just a smaller example, maybe with kids is where it's subtle, it's a slippery slope, right? We all do this a little bit, but where you have to ask yourself, am I doing this nice thing for my child? because I want to earn their love and I'm terrified that they won't like me? Or am I doing this nice thing for my child because I love my child and I want them to have, this is going to be so good for their soul. And that's one way to distinguish it, right? Because we can do this with our kids. We can start to want to win their love. And so we start Mm. to blur boundary lines and we start to, and it, it can, it, it's a really subtle slippery slope, but we have to be really mindful. Again, we have to be paying attention to ourselves. What am I afraid of that? I'm not saying I love you, honey, but no, I can't do that thing for you today. What are we afraid of? You know, are we afraid Mm. that they won't like us? You know, well, sometimes our kids will get a little annoyed with us, you know, and that doesn't mean we're bad parents. It's that subtle thing of where we have to really be clear on what is, why am I doing this helpful behavior? 
Am I doing it because I really think it's what's best for this other person? Or am I doing it because somehow it's kind of making me feel like I'm getting a hit that I need a hit of their love and affection. And that's just, this, it's a real slippery slope. Again, you have to be really in tune with yeah. your own voice and your own heart to kind of check because it's a huge difference. What the motive, like it's checking what your motives are really is what you're tapping into there. hundred um, percent. I want to throw another spanner in this situation. Speaking from my experience, like growing up in the Middle East, Africa mm -hmm. as well. We have very tight-knit sense of family, mm -hmm. not just to the nuclear family, but also to the wider family network. Yeah. And um, the other kind of like thing that you want to throw in the cocktail of this is that having cultures where you honor, you know, people in authority like parents, mm -hmm. right? So in this example, like it can be more so uh, seen more in the Western culture, yeah. like yeah. wanting to please the children. But in my experience growing up in my type of culture, it's it's the other way around yes. of wanting to please the people that are in your authority, whether it's your parents or your grandparents or aunties, uncles that are very much in your life, even as an adult, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't stop when you're just a child. And so in those scenarios where there can be a lot of codependency, how does one even begin to kind of come out of that sense of codependency where you feel like if I share with you what I need or if I say, no, this is a boundary, it's, yeah. it almost makes you feel like you're doing it to God in a way. Yeah. Um, how do you navigate that? Like, Yeah, I do. I do see that as well. And I really appreciate you bringing up the, the cultural piece of this because I do think there's nuance in different cultures mm, for sure. Yeah. And that whole dance, I talk about this dance of connectedness and autonomy, right? Where in the West, we kind of err toward yeah. individualism and I'll do me. And there are other cultures where it almost errs toward we do everything yes. enmeshed and together, yes. right? And so yeah. we, and I do think it's a dance of both. But I love your question. I do see, I think that umbilical cord when we're talking about our parents. Ooh, yeah. It is the voice of God. It's strong. There's a reason we have yeah. a hard time separating from parents, regardless of our cultural background. You know, mm. we're kind of hardwired to want the affection of our parents. And so if, if you're in a situation, and I do talk about this in one of the chapters, sort of healing these childhood wounds, where you had a parent who misused their authority right? Who yeah. exploited, took advantage of, violated you in any way, you know, parentify. I talk about this word parentification where kind of got you to take care of the parent. One of the tips I would say is number one, sometimes actions speak louder. Sometimes we so want, especially our parents to understand us. Some of them can, mm -hmm. but sometimes mm -hmm. we have to show it through actions. We have to simply Kind of, again, do that internal work of what do I need? How can I honor? I talk a lot about we can still honor our parents and honor ourselves. It's this both and. It doesn't have to be one or the other. But maybe the way that I'm going to honor or you're going to honor your parents, maybe the way in this situation, I'm going to be honoring my parents. I know what it is that I'm doing. They don't really experience it that way. They feel like I've left they feel like I should be doing more. And that's hard, right? That gets into, we have to yeah. really do that internal work of saying, I, I know what I need to be healthy, which mm -hmm. means 
I may have to have more time away. I may not be able to meet the needs that they're putting on me. Here's what I, again, here's what I can do. I can do. And I go through really practical things in these settings with it when it's with a parent. You know, yeah. I'm not going to be able to be on the phone with them every day. I'm not going to be able to meet their every need. I can do this thing, right? Sometimes people do have to step away altogether for a season when, the, when there's been a real misuse of authority from the parent. Um, it's really hard with parents, but I do think mm-hmm. it's important to really pay attention to those resentments, to those. We, we also don't honor our parents by... And I'll often say to people, the best way you honor your parents is to become the most beautiful version of the soul they created, because that Mm -hmm. is what was really honoring to parents. They don't always see it that way, (laughs) but it really is. We have to know that to be true. You know, that even though I'm doing this hard thing, that's going a little bit different direction, what they wanted, I'm being a good, I'm, I'm doing good in the world. I'm healthy. I'm being a good mom myself. I'm healing myself. That is actually paying respect to my parents, even though they might not see it that way. What about if you're on, uh, let's flip the table now. Let's, Mm -hmm. Let's imagine that someone is now on the receiving end of someone who is enforcing their boundaries or saying, I'm not available, I won't do that. What would you say to that person who's on the receiving end? I mean, you've got one of two choices. It hurts and you can honor your own hurt. So you have one of two choices. You can be angry and, and turn toward bitterness and anger, or you can honor the feelings that you have look at yourself, get curious. Is there anything that I need to grow from? We always have that choice. Even if someone's mistreating us, even if their boundaries are harsh and not fair, because that happens too, right? People weaponize boundaries, but we always have that choice to go, how do I grow from this? What can I take from this? How do I protect myself from this? What have I learned from this? How do I turn toward the work of my own healing? And it's always the better choice. Sometimes that'll lead us back around to the person and we might have repairs. Sometimes that'll lead us to realizing, wow, I can't be in a relationship with that person because that hurt. But the more I've done the work inside of me, even if someone I think is like, I don't think that's really fair. If I've done the work inside of me, I can even honor that and be like, well, I don't think that's fair, but I'm good. Because I've done my own work and I'll just keep moving toward the vision of my life. You said something really interesting there. And it's also a pet peeve of mine when when people use boundaries as an excuse to be rude. Oh, yeah. So can you kind of maybe talk us through like what does a healthy boundaries conversation maybe sound like and an unhealthy one? Because there is a difference. A hundred percent boundaries can be weaponized. That's why talking about boundaries, I always, I'm like, oh, I know someone's going to weaponize. You know, it's just, it's one of those things. (laughs) Boundaries are not, we do not use boundaries to try to control somebody else's behavior. That's not what a boundary is. Boundaries we don't use to put someone in their place. Boundaries are not about other people. They're not punishment. You know, well, you did this thing. So I'm not, I'm going to, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. That's not a boundary. Oh, good. Yeah. A boundary yeah. is 
that hurt me. I'm going to need to take a couple of days to figure out, to process that. That really hurt me, right? I may be quiet mm. for a while. I may, I, I'm not ready to talk about it because that really hurt. I'm taking care of me. I'm not punishing you in that scenario versus you hurt me and I'm going to do this. You know, that's punishing somebody. Oh, wow. So it, boundaries are about, you know, and they really do get weaponized. So about trying to control somebody, you know, if you don't do this, I'm going to do this. That's not a boundary. You know, that's, that's an ultimatum. Right. You know? <laughs> yes. Boundaries are, you know, I think, of, you know, if you, with a parent, you know, I, I can't be on the phone. It's really hurtful to me when you are constantly critical of dad, let's say your parents are divorced, you know, it, it, it hurts me. And so I'm going to have to get off the phone if you bring that up and I love you. I can't have that conversation with you. It, it's not good for me. So the next time you bring it up, I'm going to get off the phone and I just want to let you know. That's not punishment. That's, I, mm. I have to do this for me. And then that other person has the choice of going, oh, gosh, should I? I didn't realize I was doing something wrong. Let me or they can sulk and be mad. <laughs> Either way, it doesn't matter. You're doing what you need to do to take care of you. And it's not an effort to hurt the other person. Huge difference. Thank you so much for clarifying yeah. that. I think we can all walk away from this clearly knowing what the difference is. Yeah. I love that. I love that you're saying it's not an ultimatum. It's not weaponizing. It's not a confrontational language or attacking language. It's more about explaining what you need. So good. So good. In your own journey of healing and, you know, coming to the point of finding the best of you, Mm -hmm. um, what would you say has been the most surprising thing that you've learned about yourself or discovered? I think the most surprising thing is the the freedom and the spaciousness and the joy of not being afraid of any part of yourself, you know, of recognizing and, 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 the, and that you can get to the point where there's very little shame is what I would say. It's not that we don't make mistakes. Wow. It's not that I don't find myself going, oh, there I went down that road again. But it's so much, there's almost this, oh, there I went down that road again. Okay, course correct. You know, there's just a freedom in being very at peace with yourself. Mm. And again, I I get into that in the last chapters. What does it mean to be at peace with yourself? It doesn't mean I do get it right all the time. It doesn't mean I love myself. I mean, sometimes I see stuff, I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. But I'm also okay. If there's a real honesty with yourself, there's an honesty with God, there's an honesty with your spouse, with the people who you really trust, where I lived for so many years just feeling at the mercy of other people, feeling like if somebody bruised wow. me. I was just out for the day. You know, now it's like, gosh, I that's kind of a bummer that they're not being very nice today, but it doesn't have to, you know, I'm I'm free inside myself. That's so, so powerful and beautiful yeah. to hear. And I can definitely relate to that that thing of people's words. Yeah. Um, when they can take you out, I definitely can relate to that and having a past where it would take me out for like <laughs> <laughs> More than a day, let's just say. Yes. Um, so I'm I'm so glad that you shared that. And I'm sure that someone listening, if you're still in that place where, you know, you're still kind of trying to find where and come to that sense of selfhood, there is hope. It's it's the muscle that you build. And yes. I love that you share that. 
it's been throughout our, our discussion today that you've learned to get what you need. You've learned to yeah. trust yourself. Something like people say, it's become kind of like a bit of a joke now. It's like, I have trust issues, right? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, but it's it's true. And sometimes it's used in a context where people have trust issues with others. But I feel like one of the bigger ones is that trusting ourselves. And um, if someone's at that point where it's like, you know, Allison, I... I just don't trust myself. I'm not there yet. What would you say to them? And maybe are there any steps they can take so that they can start that journey of trusting themselves? I love it that you're taking the idea of trust issues and applying it inwardly, right? Because I agree with you 100% that sometimes Mm -hmm. when we have trust issues, we think I don't trust other people or maybe I trust too easily. Um, that the work of that does start inside of myself, right? Because how do we learn how to trust other people if we don't learn to pay attention to the cues our body is giving us? And so that's that journey of how do I learn to trust myself? Well, I learn to pay attention again, pay attention to those emotions, pay attention to those cues. What I was just paying attention to, wait a minute, I'm not feeling seen or heard or understood here. Is it something I'm doing or is this just someone that doesn't care about me? Okay. Mm. then they're not trustworthy because I've paid attention to myself and gone through that process inside of me of kind of gauging the situation, reading the cues, not, not being quick, not being impulsive, but noticing, getting curious, paying attention to myself, paying attention to the cues I'm getting from the other person and then making a decision. Sometimes we shouldn't trust other people, right? So trust issues might mean I'm slow to trust because I've learned the hard way that a lot of people aren't trustworthy and that's okay. As long as you then are also clear on where has there been somebody who's trustworthy and how did I know? How did I know inside my body? What were the cues that that was a safe place? We have to learn that. So it's not just magic, right? We're not just hoping. We're going, wait a minute. Those are cues that I'm getting. And I talk a little bit about this in the book when you're learning how to trust to test, test new relationships, When you're starting new friendships, like not in a mean way, not in a confrontational way, but in a, I'm going to practice giving an honest opinion. I'm going to practice when someone, if I'm only going over to their side of town saying, Hey, would you meet me on my side of town once and see how they respond? Mm. And you learn really quickly what kind of person it is and if they're trustworthy. So trust is earned and developed over time, but it's a process of paying attention to yourself engaging the cues that are coming from the other person. So good. You you mentioned, okay, so you said the word cues, right? Yeah. Now, there's, there's an aspect of it where you have to pay t- attention to your own cues in your body, which That's I would right. love for yes. you to kind of talk more about. Yeah. My question to you is, as you practice doing that, because I feel like reading other people and their body cues is also a skill. Yes. Is it the case that once you get better with reading your own body, you get better at reading other people too? Is that how it works? Agreed. Yes. I think there's two parts of it. There's the interpersonal. It's kind of reading the cues. Maybe you do trust your intuition a little bit again, Mm -hmm. but you begin to get more granular about why. I've had experiences, we all have, where someone might've come off really strong at the beginning and then you realize they're actually a really trustworthy person. So it's a process of noticing the cues Mm. that are coming your way, but then noticing inside yourself, you know, that didn't sit right. There's some part of me that's curious. So I'm going to give it one more try. And again, you're making a pact with yourself. You're building trust with yourself to say, I'm just going to really pay attention to how, how they respond and how I respond. And you really can get 
a lot of data by paying attention to both. One of one of the questions that I wanted to ask you that I believe you mentioned in your book is that in order for us to become our best selves, mm-hmm. we need to face our pain. And I feel yes. like that's really uh, ties into paying attention to our body cues. Yes. Now, if someone isn't used to doing that, if they're afraid, you know, life is hard. Right? <laughs> you know? So it can be hard and you, you might face grief, difficult relationships, past trauma. And sometimes it's just easier to just put it away and not think I about know. it. But in order for us to become our best selves, we mm-hmm. must face that pain. So if someone is afraid of that process, what mm-hmm. would your advice be to them? Go slowly, be gentle with yourself. You don't have to do it all at once. You know, if you've got that big suitcase mm. of baggage, pace yourself. It's not wise to take it all out at once. You know, just take out a little piece at a time and be really gentle with yourself and know that it's going to be a process. It's going to change you. Give yourself little moments of comfort. We do need relief. Sometimes I'll work with clients and say, why don't we do grief for an hour? And what are you going to do really nice for yourself after the grief, you know, after our session Mm, today? I love that. You know, you need, you do need to pace yourself. That is the way through, ironically, you know, the more we witness Mm. pain, the more we face it, the more it softens, the more we create space for joy, the more we create space we, that, for that kindness and those goodness, those good things to come into our lives. And so it's worth it. It's really, really worth it. It's worth the process. That's beautiful. And you feel like relationships or community have a part to play in, in healing at all. Yes, absolutely. We need to understand mm-hmm. what safety feels like inside of ourselves We need to understand what safety feels like in other people. We need to be able to witness and honor our own pain. And we need other people to come alongside of us and say, I see you. I get it. I know that was hard for you. We need both. We absolutely need both. I feel like I could sit down and just ask you so many questions, but we have to wrap it up. Uh, This has been great. I have. It has. It really has. But before you leave, I have a fun little game that I love to play with all our Daring Forward guests called Give Me Three. What we're going to do is I'm going to ask you three questions. I want you to speak before you think. (laughs) <laughs> which is probably okay. very okay. like okay. Com- the complete opposite of what you probably normally do. Yeah. Um, and just think of three answers to each question as quickly okay. as you possibly can. You ready? Okay. Oh gosh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay. Give me three ways to finish the sentence. After one year in a relationship, it is okay to break up. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's one. I need two more answers. Now I want to think, right? It's so hard. Fall in love. um, Get engaged. That's a good one. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah. Okay. I I love this one. Give me three reasons why you would be thrown out of your own wedding. Too excited. Too exuberant. uh, Singing too loudly. uh, (laughs) Being too silly. Fair enough. (laughs) Okay. And final question. Give me three reasons why money can buy happiness. Healthcare. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Medical needs. um, Uh Travel to see family and friends. Therapy. So good. These are really good answers. My gosh. I was surprised. That one was easier because I'm like, there are ways in which it, there are just some real inhibitors to people getting what they need. So. Yeah, so good. 
Alice, thank you so much. Um, before we leave, can you please let us know where people can connect with you, where yeah. people can buy your book? And just also keep in mind that a lot of people watching are, aren't in the U.S., so when can they get their hands on your book as well if yeah. they're outside the U.S.? Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Um, it's drallisoncook.com is my website. Um, and I'm on Instagram and Facebook as Dr. Allison Cook. That's my handle. I post a lot. There's a lot of stuff there. Um, I think the book, I think I heard the book is coming out in the UK in October. Um, it's on Amazon. Fantastic. It's everywhere. It's called The Best of You. You know, for the folks in the UK, I have a bunch of um, promotional, like a Boundaries for Women course, because you probably couldn't have pre-ordered it there. You know, go to my website and you can, there's contact forums, but feel free to ping me, sign up for my email list. I'm happy to get those to you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an absolute joy and honor to have you with us on the show. It was great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. All the resources mentioned in the show are linked below if you're watching on YouTube and linked in the show notes if you're listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then I want to invite you to help us spread our message by choosing one of four ways. One, subscribe to the YouTube channel or the podcast. Two, leave a review if you're listening to the podcast. It really helps. Three, let me know in the comments below what the key takeaways were for you in today's episode. And four, share this episode with one friend who could use a little bit of courage today. And if you want to binge our episodes, may I suggest you watch this episode right here if you're watching on YouTube. That's it. Until next time, don't forget to live courageously and dare forward.